Hi, Richie. Hi, Sin. Hi, everyone. And welcome to episode 229 of the Snack Covenant. Hey, Richie. Yes? Do you hear something? <laughs> no, what was no. that? No. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I bring spirits with me wherever I go. That sounds like a song. I should make one if it isn't. Spirits go with me wherever I go <laughs> to the place. So what what I, I suggested know. opening the episode with is that's apparently inappropriate, but your improvised country road song Wherever about I go. that's fine. <laughs> Dreamers are three bugs by the names of Herod the Beast, Monomon the Teacher, and Lurian the Watcher. The Pale King used them as one of the mechanisms to seal away the radiance, which put them in an eternal sleep. We only ever encountered their slumbering bodies in the real world. However, we can hit them with the dream nail and enter their dream world to meet their projections. What struck me about the dreamers, and I think this is like probably an intentional kind of like callback to that motif, is that because Hollow Knight is such a Metroid-inspired game, the black egg that has the dreamers' faces on it reminded me a lot of the sort of weird, never really explained statue that gates off the final area in Super Metroid, because that's this. This is combination of the four major bosses stuck together. And as you defeat them, the eyes of the statue crack and the statue starts to sort of break down and it lets you through. And the way that the, the dreamers are positioned with their faces on this black egg that gates off the final part of the game, it, it struck me as very, very similar. Thank you, Richie. That's a very interesting observation. So let's first talk about the dreamer named Hera the Beast. We talked about her a bit in a previous podcast with Dahlia, where we looked at the lore of Hornet. But we're going to talk about her again, because this is a separate episode. And we have to keep it all complete and coherent. Exactly. Thank you, Dahlia. Because all these podcasts are independent of one another. What's that so hard to understand, Richie? If people want Ibruitus mugs, where can they go? <laughs> Hi, Richie here. Every episode of this podcast is entirely self-contained, for all I know, so you may be wondering, what's an Ibruitus? Ibruitus is our channel mascot, Ooh. whom Sin accidentally summoned from the outer regions of the cosmos when she tried to say oh. the word Ibriatus while I, drunk. I specifically heard you summon no, Ibriatus. No, not now. Not now. Sorry. If you found that entirely self-contained experience with Ibruitus as delightful as I did, oh. you can find Ibruitus merchandise in the link below. Back to the podcast. So Dahlia, who is Hera the Beast? 
But Hera the Beast is the queen of the spider tribe, which is a group of spiders that live in Hollowness, presumably living alongside the weavers, a group of mystery in Hollowness. But they took off as soon as things started to look bad, which, you know, good on them. Smart. She does have a partner, well, had a partner. She was only a common beast. She was not in a high form of the cast of however Deep Nest ran. And at a certain point, her partner did pass on. And so she didn't have an heir anymore. And despite the fact that her and the spider tribe never really dealt with the Pale King, his rule did not extend to their kingdom. He approached her and asked her to be a dreamer. And she said she would if he gave her a child. And then we got Hornet. Thank you, Dahlia. Could you please describe Hera? She's got a similar head shape to Hornet, except the fact that the mask doesn't cover the entirety of her head. So it looks like she's got, you know, a cloth draped over it. Her mask has some similarities to Hornet, but mostly it's head shape. She's also a very large creature. She's very large buggy. <laughs> and she does have eight legs, so we can assume that she is some form of spider. Mm-hmm. Although you can only tell she has eight when you see her laying down. Because when she's floating, well, one of her arms just kind of disappears somewhere, probably in the folds of her fabric. Mm. She reminds me a bit of um, the way Rom looks, where like she's a spider, but the... The legs are all just like dotted along the side of her abdomen. They're not yeah. all in the middle. Yeah. If her arms stood up vertically, she'd look like Hera. Thank you, Dahlia. Thank you, Richie. What does her title, The Beast, mean? It is likely referring to the fact that she is uh, lower born. Um, Her bloodline in particular is of nothing special. And it might also have some form of reference to her body. Mm -hmm. I just made her a theme song. Oh. Do you want to hear it? Absolutely. The country roads. You're the beast around. Nothing's going to ever keep you down. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Richie here. Sin just wants me to dwell for a while on how she certainly played me for a fool by singing a song other than Country Roads, a song she sings in every second episode. It's little changes like this that keep the podcast fresh after so many years. Back to the podcast. Where is Hera from? Hera is from Deep Nest, which is a skittery, I often refer to it as an awful place, because it is, that was outside of Deep Nest, or outside of, what the hell is the name of the city? Oh my god. Hollow Nest? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Outside of Hollow Nest, close enough to where they were neighbors, and the Pale King at one point attempted to expand his reach into Deep Nest, but they turned down his offer, that time anyways. And uh, was also where a mysterious group of 
thugs called the Weavers once stayed, but have since absconded. Thank you, Dahlia. Under what circumstances do we meet her in the real world? The first time we meet her and the other two dreamers in general is Hmm. once you go to Green Path and you collect the dash thingy. The three of them appear before you. Would it seek to break the seals? They cannot be undone. They must be undone. Let us sleep, little shadow. Return to your darkness. Allow us our peace. And um, Hollow Knight is so long that by the time I actually got to the Dreamers, I had completely forgotten that happened. (laughs) I didn't realize that I'd seen them before until I looked on the wiki. Yeah, I always forget about the first meeting. I remember the second meeting where they decide to get a little uh, uppity about it, but I always forget about the first one. (laughs) It's very Bloodborne, where when something significant happens, it's been so long you forgot it happened. (laughs) Yeah. And in terms of, like, the actual length of it, like, so far my first Hollow Knight playthrough has been longer than my first, like, Dark Souls three playthrough like it's very 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 long i think the game is much bigger than dark Souls three or at least it feels like it is well i I don't know how you'd like it would be hard to quantify that yeah how you'd quantify like that they're completely different like genres and you move at different speeds and stuff richie yes how do we quantify things in the snack covenant sins oh (laughs) Sin, sin, sin is her own unit of measurement. <laughs> Makes sense. Thank you. Well, how many sin? How many sins is Hollow Knight? Five million. How many sins is Dark Souls Three? One million. There you have it. <laughs> Definitive answer. Well, but like you, you have a perfectly flat head, so you'd be very easy to like stack oh on God. top of yourself. <laughs> If we needed to use you to measure things. <laughs> Thank you, Richie. <laughs> Under what circumstances do we meet Hera in the dream? So we approach Hera's lovely sleeping place and you strike her with the dream nail, which enters her dream. And... Um, the dream nail dialogue that is given if you strike her with the dream nail. I know her dialogue. Okay. Oh. I'm going to pull up the wiki here, and it says, I'm the beast around. Nothing's going to ever keep me down. <laughs> <laughs> Bound for brood for child. Fair bargain made. Give all for her. Which is adorable. Yeah. And then you keep hitting her until she dies. And then you suck her up and now her seal's gone. That's pretty brutal. It is. She had it coming. (laughs) Dolly is ruthless today. (laughs) Were you disappointed that there was no boss fight? Partially, but also I wanted to get out of deepness so quickly I didn't care. (laughs) Well, not, not specifically Hera, but the other two, like their corpse 
dreaming body thing is preceded by a boss fight so as soon as like that happened with the other two and i ended up in this dream world and there's this big bug floating there i'm like oh god not not again (laughs) um but but then i realized oh it doesn't actually do anything yeah yeah which i think is meant to sort of illustrate the fact that deep nest is in a bad way at this point Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. What do we learn from Harry in general? She was approached, I believe they were all approached by the Pale King and mm-hmm. had varying degrees of involvement in this plan. And it does appear that she became quite fond of Hornet if the part of her dialogue that says give all for her is meant to refer to Hornet. And unlike the other two dreamers, Hera doesn't tell us what her opinion is on breaking the seal. No. She's likely consigned herself to the fact that she's doing this for Hornet, which again, Mm -hmm. that is speculation on my part. But Mm -hmm. so she might just be doing whatever it takes for her. Mm -hmm. In the real world, Hera still has Hornet who cares for her. Yes. If you've faced Hornet at um, Kingdom's Edge, and then you go to Hera after that, I believe that's what triggers her to appear. Mm-hmm. Does she have anybody else who cares for her in the real world? I'm sure some of her subjects probably cared for her, um, but they seem to be kind of not doing so hot themselves. Yeah. And then, of course, she was likely part of the... She might have been part of the Weavers. I don't actually know if she was, but they abandoned and or ran away from uh, Deep Nest and Hollow Nest in general, especially given the state of which Deep Nest is in by the time we get there. This is clearly a place that is basically falling apart underneath its own weight in a lot of ways because it's lost both of its leaders and the only person that's really left that's part of the quote-unquote kingdom of Deep Nest is Hornet. And she's certainly not interested in staying there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Dahlia. So now we're going to talk about the second dreamer, Monomon the teacher. Yes. So who is... <laughs> nom, nom, nom. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. Monomon the teacher used to be the chief researcher of Hollowness. She resides within Fog Canyon, which appears to be her laboratory of some sorts which contain all sorts of weird lore tablets that contain certain phrases like uh, vessel void old light king light egg seal dreamer basically lays out the pale king's plan for dealing with the radiance and her infection you know what those things sound like it's like Internal names for assets in her video game. <laughs> right. <laughs> king Light, which is the Pale King. Old Light, yeah. which is Radiance. Then toward the end, they just called like ASDF, ASDF, ASDF. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what kind of research she used to do? Certainly appears that she's doing some form of life research. She likes to keep charged lumiflies inside of a um, container, which may or may not be charging and powering her machinery. I also heard a theory that um, she might be responsible for the creations of the 
Uamal or the Uama, which are the jellyfish enemies. And if that is the case, that sort of research would certainly have interested the Pale King in um, approaching her with his attempts to create the vessels. So that's speculation. This reminded me a lot of Seath. The way that um, you sort of get to Seath's archives and you find those weird clam things and the the golems and the the channelers, which you've seen in other places up to that point, and you sort of don't know where they've come from. And then you finally reach Seath's archives and you see, oh, they all came from here. Monomon was the first of the dreamers that I encountered. So you get this sense of like, you, you've seen all these things and you're sort of tracing them back to their source. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of interesting to me. Like, again, going back to the debt that this owes to Metroid. Monomon's area is full of, like Dahlia was saying, these jellyfish things. A lot of them are held in tanks. And um, there's a gigantic one that escapes and you have to fight it. And that's just very, very Metroid. The Metroids in Metroid are basically space jellyfish with little glowing cores. And yeah, the jellyfish things in in, uh, Monomon's area are very reminiscent of them and the way that like in the Metroid games, they're always held in glass tanks and being studied before they escape. Mm -hmm. Even the, the way that the fight before Monomon articulates where there's this thing that you can't kill and then an NPC will pop into being and kind of stun it for you to hurt. That's also how the end of uh, Super Metroid and some of the other games play out. Yes. So um, Monomon apparently uh, decided that um, beds were too uh, normy for her. Overrated. <laughs> yeah. So she does sleep in one of her chambers, which maybe that is just her bed. Can she exist outside of that chamber? It's a very good question. I think at one point she probably did, obviously, to conduct her research. I don't think she was doing it from inside there. (laughs) Dahlia, wait a minute, because she has, like, a friend or an assistant in the world that's still alive. Quirrell. Yes, uh... Pearl, who I briefly, briefly, briefly mentioned uh, during the Hornet episode, is a very friendly little bug we meet. And Quirrell serves as Monomon's apprentice, and uh, she entrusted him with her mask, as well as um, he's supposed to protect her as a dreamer. Quirrell left Hollow Nest at some point and had forgotten his memories, and then eventually either through their bond or just the nature of his position in the plan for her becoming a dreamer, he is called back to Hollow Nest and uh, eventually, you know, he sort of just kind of marvels at the city and he's one of the few overtly friendly, like he's always very nice to us. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just kind of marveling at things and he's slowly making his way. And then by the time you fight Umu, which is, the giant jellyfish thing that becomes impervious at a certain point without his help. He comes to help us and allows us to continue onward. For me, I never really noticed that what I thought was a hat was actually Monomon's mask until obviously uh, you go to break Monomon's seal. Yeah, that was very cute. Before we continue, can you please describe Monomon? 
Manoman is um, probably the air quotes tallest of all the dreamers, but rather or not, she does have a body that looks somewhat like a um, like a jellyfish. And it makes me wonder if maybe she was born like that or if she's one of those um, brilliant scientists that decides that, well, I can't find a test subject, so I'll become the test subject, all of the fly. I actually don't think that's how it happened in the fly, well, but you get my meaning. Yeah, well, she she's in the same, like, tanks that she keeps the, presumably, the jellyfish things in. Yeah. But then, like, because, like, she is a jellyfish thing, I was wondering, like, maybe she just needs that to live in. It's just, like, a tank. But then the other, the other jellyfish are floating around by themselves, so. What if she is Dr. Freeze's wife? <laughs> oh. You know what I just realized? Sin called him Dr. Freeze, and I'm like, but he's Mr. Freeze. And then I'm like, but he's also a doctor. <laughs> Why isn't he Dr. Freeze? (laughs) Hi, Richie here. It turns out I'm not alone, and there is a dedicated topic on the Sci-Fi Stack Exchange asking this very question. The answer is... Nobody knows. My own theory, based on personal experiences, is that getting a doctorate reissued under a new identity, in his case a supervillain, requires a lot of visits to the post office. Something that a man who can only exist at sub-zero temperatures would find quite challenging. Back to the podcast. Where is she from? She, um is likely just a um a resident of the of hollow nest specifically fog canyon um that's where the teacher's archive which is the name of her research lab pretty much is located which is this giant dome-like building she's the author of a poem known as elegy for hollow nest the first four lines of which we hear at the beginning of the game In wilds beyond, they speak your name with reverence and regret. For none could tame our savage souls, yet you the challenge met. Under palest watch you taught, we changed. Base instincts were redeemed. A world you gave to bug and beast as they had never dreamed. Which is likely a reference to the Pale King sort of elevating the whole area of Hollow Nest. So I had a question about Monomon's archives and how that relates to the rest of Hollow Nest. On pretty much the complete opposite side of Hollow Nest, there is another place where bugs were doing weird experiments and research that is called Soul Sanctum. And I was wondering if like those two things were related, if like Soul Sanctum was based on Monomon's work, or it was like they were in parallel, or I'm not sure. I don't necessarily think the Soul Sanctum came to be in necessarily in relation to Monomon, because the Soul Sanctum sort of deals with just soul, um, which is basically like magic. So it's sort of like um Monomon is a scientist, whereas I would say the Soul Sanctum is a bunch of occultists right. in that regard. And the Soul Sanctum, and I'm reading again from the Wanderer's Journal, which is the 
lore book. As the infection first began to spread, a misguided sect of scholars committed a terrible sin in their workshop in the heart of the city. They sought to combat the infection by harnessing the power of the soul. Countless lives were sacrificed in their twisted and cruel experiments. Ultimately, it was all for naught as the infection claimed their minds in the end as well. They were a reactionary group that sort of came to be because of the infection, as opposed to the much more grounded, methodical sort of scientific research. Right. It seems like these people were doing what was happening in um, Yahargul. Yeah, you know, they yeah. Were... they're just getting more and more powerful, basically. Yeah. Yeah. In their panic, you know, they're doing whatever they can, and they're just kind of creating monstrosities and throwing everything that they can at the wall and hoping something sticks. It's funny because you're describing them as these horrible cultists. But if you look at the actual picture, it's like cute little bugs. <laughs> Big round bugs. Yeah, adorable. <laughs> <laughs> they have violated the Geneva Convention. <laughs> the Soul Sanctum is basically led, maybe not led, but just the strongest person left there is the Soul Master. who is perhaps the most successful and most powerful soul wielder produced by the Sanctum's experiments. They were driven mad by the infusion of overabundance of soul. He was easily overcome by the infection. Now he uses his extraordinary magical powers to attack any who set foot in the upper levels of the Sanctum's laboratory. Like in every good post-apocalyptic story, that's where all the, you know, the crazies did something really awful. They also predicted cut content by having Soul Master behave exactly like the cut Willem boss. How <laughs> so? Because well, the Soul Master, it just like floats in the sky and drops on you and creates these shockwaves and stuff, which works if you're a bug. Like it looks fine. But if you're actually just a man in a chair, <laughs> I would describe it as comical. Yes. Um, so. <laughs> Good good on you, Team Cherry. It's even kind of comical in Hollow Knight because, like, yeah. basically you just have to keep dodging his, like, brown pounds, which he does head first and eventually makes him dizzy. Yeah. And he also is, like, inflated to a certain degree. So, like, mm. when, so, like, as the fight goes on, he, like, he eventually deflates and, like, he kind of gets a little wrinkly and, like, he's like a balloon. <laughs> Hi, Richie here. If you were playing Bloodborne and thought beating the shit out of a senile old man who's confined to a rocking chair seemed a little too easy, you were right. He used to be a boss. If you're wondering how this could possibly work without looking completely ridiculous, you're not alone. From couldn't work it out either and wisely cut it before the retail build. The restored version of the fight involves Willem levitating around the arena in what can only be described as a comical rocket chair and attempting to squash you. He also makes strange noises that are somewhere between beatboxing and the sort of rum, 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 noise that Korn used to make. That's Korn with a K, they were a band when I was your age. Back to the podcast.
to Manaman, the teacher, under what circumstances did she become a dreamer? When the infection first appeared, Manaman was either approached or was initially involved with the plan. She certainly seems like the most suited as far as knowing the most about the plan, um, especially with the lore tablets, basically in a very rudimentary way, i.e. literal words and not a constructed sentence, um, tell you what the Pale King's plan is. So obviously she understood. And it is my personal belief, so this is not necessarily laid out in stone, this is just me. I think she knew about the plan beforehand and was an active part in planning it. And of course, as things go on, she is the voice that is speaking out about how it needs, you know, the seals need to be broken because much like I posit that Hornet feels, she does not believe that this constant festering stasis of a kingdom that's barely being held together by glue and your hopes and dreams. She wants the radiance and the infection to be ended, not just cooped up and locked up because people are still getting infected anyways, Mm -hmm. regardless of, you know, the radiance, you know, obviously as the seals break, the infection grows, but there's still many, many, many bugs that are already infected, even with the seals at full strength. And the notion of of containing the infection is something that's echoed around like the designs of the things associated with Monomon. Because you have like the jellyfish things that look like her. When you encounter those in Fog Canyon, they have a little like core of radiance in them. A lot of the bugs do, but this is like a very, very dangerous piece of radiance core. Because if you if you kill them, that little orange orb instead of falling out it will like shoot out at you and it will do a ton of damage if it connects yeah and then like yeah you've got those and then and then you have those inside of the tubes so it's like i am containing this thing within something else that is then contained in something else like a matryoshka doll Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. matryoshka doll from hell yeah (laughs) oh my god i just had a vision of a matryoshka doll, but it's painted like Hellraiser. <laughs> that would be really cool, actually. <laughs> that must exist. Yeah, and you open it, and there's a different Hellraiser in it. You know all the different little Hellraiser monsters? The Cenobites. Yes, yeah. Cenobites. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the last thing is a little tiny cube. Oh, yes. Okay, I, I found one on Etsy. But <laughs> it's like... Pinhead is the biggest one, and then inside of that is it. And then inside wow. of it is Candyman, and inside Candyman is the the dummy from Saw. I unironically love it. Send me I'll a link. Send you the link. <laughs> I love scary movies. Scary movies are so me good. Too. Yeah. It's it's three hundred dollars. Oh my god. Hey Richie, if people want to help this podcast and get more content, where should they go? <laughs> Hi, Richie here. If you'd like to help feed Sin's video game merchandise addiction, you can go to patreon.com slash Law. For a mere $2, or 1 150th of a Hellraiser Matryoshka doll, you gain access to hundreds of bonus episodes. Of the- of this. Back to the podcast. 
tell me the circumstances under which we meet her projection? She's in Fog Canyon. Fog Canyon is an area that you will probably go in and out of quite a bit before that because it connects some other areas together, but you can't fully explore most of Fog Canyon initially. It sort of becomes like a like a crossroads between a bunch of other places. Because even though even though the game has a fast travel system, you can't just go anywhere you want. You're limited to actually quite a small number of fast travel points, and not every area has one. So Fog Canyon is somewhere that you'll be familiar with. You'll sort of have passed through it a bunch of times. And Monomon is kind of where you um get to like figure out, okay, this is this is quote unquote the point of this area. Like that's where I've been heading. I've just when I'm not just passing through, this is the destination. Because until you stumble on her archive, it's very much just like a very it appeared to me anyways that it's a very humid and sort of very lush yeah. area. It's the most um Metroid feeling part of the game because it's just like the parts that you'll go back and forward from initially are just a series of very tall vertical shafts with enemies sort of floating in place. Yep. Yeah. And dodging those orbs is such a pain. Yeah, yeah. Such a large AoE. (laughs) And just like Hera, we hit Manamon with our dream nail to enter her dream. Yes. And what does her projection tell us? Her dream self, when you dream nail her, says... For diversity, a seal, a world forever unchanging, the seal must break forever, battle and end. She would prefer to that everyone can move on and that, you know, you're not stuck in a stagnating form of stasis. Which is very much, you know, as someone who, you know, a scientist that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing good happens if everything's just standing still. That's very Kegare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> think of Kegare. Do you know what I think about? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I, Nostradamus the Vampire, have risen from the dead to give you a quiz! What does Sin think of when she hears the word Kegare? Is it A. Fallout? B. Katekyo Hitman Reborn? Or C. The Bastard's Curse? A video Richard made and can never escape? Leave your answer in the comments below. Also, I mean, you could you could say Fallout and Reborn are just as accurate because she's always thinking about those things. Just doesn't fucking end, does it? Back to the podcast. So now let's move on to Lurian the Watcher. Who is Lurian? Lorian used to watch over the City of Tears, which was the metropolitan hub of Hollow Nest, and was likely, to some degree, the leader of the city's royal guard, I would assume. Although, I also think he was a watcher in a literal sense, because in his home, where we find him sleeping, there is just a telescope looking down on the city. 
And he, he's located in a huge, like, tower that's called Watch's Spire that's overlooking the city, so. Yeah. Yeah. He's like Big Brother in a lot of ways, except yeah, yeah. much more limited to his observations. And he has a butler. Yes, yes, he has a butler. It's a very cute detail. <laughs> oh, and you can use um, Lorian's telescope as well, like if you... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a cute yeah. little, uh, it's a cute yeah. little little vignette. You get to see the city. Yeah, and like I, I don't want to be like everything in this game is a callback to a game that influenced it, but like <laughs> wasn't this in Castlevania? Yeah, in in Symphony of the Night, there is a little telescope you can use, and it shows you shows you um, actually well, it shows you something that's of like gameplay significance. So it's not quite as cute, but yeah. Mm-hmm. This one, it's um, set dressing and setting the mood. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dahlia. Thank you, Richie. Could you please describe Lorian? So Lorian is the shortest and uh, in stature and size, uh, the smallest out of the three watchers. Simply standing or floating in this case, all you can see is the mask and hood until you hit him and then. You know, he's got his legs. Um, his mask is worth noting that it only has one eye hole, and that's it. So mm-hmm. that might explain why his uh, spire only has, like, the one lookout. Well, it does make him look like a giant eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. He is a little ghost-looking, too. He does have a mm. ghostly figure to him. Mm-hmm. Where is he from? He is a resident of the City of Tears. He is likely the Watcher of the Guard, or at least served some form of security detail. Obviously of some importance, though his setup makes me wonder how effective he may or may not have been at his job. (laughs) Why? How so? He can't see nothing out that window, okay? (laughs) I just can't let that go. How and why did he become a dreamer? He likely became a dreamer out of his sense of duty to protect Hollow Nest, which leads me to believe he was probably the leader of the Royal Guards, or at least of some form of stature, given his placement. And he takes his duty as watching over Hollow Nest, or at least the City of Tears, although I think Hollow Nest in general, very, very seriously. He is the voice that does not want to break the seal. He's not trying to save the day. He's just like trying to do whatever he can to preserve his idea of what Hollownest is, not what Hollownest can be or what it should be. He wants to try and preserve the Hollownest that existed for him. So he's like that type of person that's like trying to preserve the past, even if it's no longer viable. Mm. Under what circumstances do we meet him in the real world? Well, before you get to meet him in the real world, Mm -hmm. allow me to briefly speak on the nightmare that was the Watcher Knights. (laughs) These large, rotund bugs. And I'm reading from the Wanderer's Journal. Ever vigilant, even in death, 
These ironclad husks stand guard over the entrance to the Watcher's Spire, striking down any who attempt to enter. The tiny, infected flies that now control their bodies seem to give them incredible strength and speed. One night is easy enough to avoid, but they seem to just keep coming. Maybe their numbers could be thinned a little ahead of time. Which is a neat little reference that if you go through a secret passage, you can drop a chandelier on one of them. So instead of having to fight six, you only have to fight five, which respawn at a certain set amount of time or after you do a certain amount of damage. So usually at least contending with two at a time, usually. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Dahlia. Under what circumstances do we meet Lurian's projection? Or under what circumstances do we meet him in the dream? So. After that nightmare of a boss fight, we eventually make it to the top of the Watcher's Spire where he is laid out. And like usual, you strike him with the dream nail and you enter his dream state. And upon continuing to hit him with the dream nail, his um, thoughts read, For King Beloved, to sleep, to serve, bonds must remain, remain. And after the battle, we can retrieve his um, journal, and it reads, Sleep beckons eternal, and these words become my last. Though my gaze shall no longer fall upon this city, I will act forever in its protection. For king, for bug, for hollow nest, I head now to my rest. And you find that after you break his seal. It's very poetic. Yeah, I just noticed everyone has a very sing-songy way of writing. (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone in the real world still care for Lurian? Presumably the butler. Oh. But even that's a little bit questionable. He might have just been locked in there. (laughs) Well, maybe Lurian's butler is a combat butler. He really, really, really just really fumbled his one job. Yeah. (laughs) Because he saw trouble and immediately ran away. (laughs) My boyfriend made me watch the first episode of Hayate the Combat Butler. Uh Uh-huh. Um, it's pretty good, but it's not as good as Reborn. Yeah, so your boyfriend made you watch one episode of something. You weren't that interested and he didn't make you watch the rest. Richie, do the outro. <laughs> <laughs> that was Hollow Knight discussing the dreamers with Dahlia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Dahlia, if people want to find you on social media, where should they look for you? You can find me on most platforms as Dahlia's Dark Side and Twitter at Dark Side Dahlia's. Coming, Dahlia. It was super fun and super awesome as usual. Of course. It's always a pleasure. And thank you again for having me. And thank you, Richie. Thank you, Sin. And thanks everyone for listening. See y'all next time.